This is episode number 16 of the My Niche is Human podcast. Welcome back to another episode. And if this is your first, thanks for joining. Today, I want to talk about the dark side of comedy. For a long time, I've been fascinated with comedians and how they see the world. I've, I've always felt like they see the world differently. You know, how do you come up with jokes? How do you how do you call out everyday behaviors that we all do and yet shine them in a way that we've never thought about before? So I've always thought there's a magic there. And I wanted to get a better understanding of that. So I sit down with my friend, Jojo White, who is originally from Tennessee and he's been writing sketch comedy for the last eight years or so and has been doing stand-up for the last year. He once opened for Chris Porter from Comedy Central and has been recently featured on the Creative Motion channel on Roku TV. Jojo shares a very intimate side of himself and I want to commend him ahead of time for his courage. Uh, I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. Stick around. I'll talk to you soon. Starts on the inside. It does. <laughs> Excellent. So we're here today to talk about comedy and mental health and how they intertwine and work themselves out. But I want to get right to the nuts. Okay. All right. Let's do it. So why do you think, I talking to you, bringing you on the show, it felt like you were passionate about doing this. You had ideas. You have a focus on this connection. So why is there such a strong relationship between depression and comedy? I think it for me it's it I had to find it for myself and so I and then once I was amongst like people who had the same struggles it, I started to notice patterns like okay depression and comedy go hand in hand for the most part and I think it's more of like therapeutic for for people who can't afford counselors or therapy that you know all that. So to be able to go up on stage, I mean, there's good and bad to it. Yeah, go up on stage and kind of vent and everything. But when everyone doesn't give you that reaction, then it's kind of like they give you, it's like more weight to yourself. Like mm-hmm. You just feel bad because mm-hmm. you, you're trying to get those laughs and stuff when you do stand up. So you said you noticed that in the community. Did it ever occur to you personally or did you kind of notice a theme as you ran into other comedians? I kind of had an idea from watching like bigger comedians and stuff. Everyone always said that, oh, comedy and depression go hand in hand. Like you can't live a good life and be a comedian for the most part. Like you got to have some kind of trauma, something crazy happening to you. And that's what makes you a great comic, I guess. Mm. The the worse your life is, the better like the the comedian you are. So that makes me think of, remember the scene in Eminem or in 8 Mile Uh at the end when he's like, you think you're a gangster? You went to private school. Yep. So in the world of comedy, is it almost, if you're kind of too put together, is is there a little bit of reverse stigma on that? Are you almost measured by how messed up your life is? No, not really. But like we can sense when somebody... Like has a good life per se, or like who's all together. And are they not that funny? <laughs> I don't think it's that. I think because typically you try to speak from you know experience. You try to like with comedy, you're just speaking from your perspective in life. And so if you have a clean perspective, a good perspective, then like you can you can tell that you can read that on somebody. Now if you have like a 
a twisted, crazy perspective in life and things have happened to you and, you know, you're drinking at five and smoking cigs and it kind of like Waking up on your stove. Exactly. The things mm. that you saw, like kind of like people can see that. People see like the struggle. And it's weird, like you can feel it too. It's hard to explain it for anyone who's listening, but like with comedy, there's more to just getting up on stage and speaking. You can feel the audience. The audience can feel you. They can feel when you're being genuine. They can feel when you're being fake. And there's a feeling there where if you've had a rough life or whatever, like people kind of (laughs) know. Yeah. So I feel like that can go in two directions mm-hmm. because I've, when I think about comedy, mental health and whatever that comes with and how comedy can be kind of therapeutic, mm-hmm. you, you let your poison out there, you process it, people laugh, maybe that's healing for you. Or they don't laugh. Right. But then in the <laughs> other direction, if you have to loosely kind of have a a messed up life to produce good material Mm -hmm. are you almost afraid to fix yourself are you afraid to heal are you afraid to kind of level out and maybe your content will get soft is there any kind of calculation you ever thought about that well i think um a person has ability to heal but it doesn't change their perspective oh you still have that that outlook on life Mm -hmm. like you can grow you can be a better person but it doesn't change all the craziness like i can dress up and put a suit and tie on and go to an interview but i can after i can still crack up and joke on everybody that was in there and break Mm -hmm. everybody down so it's uh, it's evolving but you know they're just tools at that point in your life and how you view things so the the crisis provides the perspective the performance is the outlet mm-hmm. with the opportunity to heal, and but it doesn't mean you've lost your perspective. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, and, and I mean, <clears throat> you know, comedy is an outlet. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll heal, but I think that it's a feel good. Like when you do good up there, like it's the best high. It's the best drug. I, I, I can't compare it to anything that I've ever felt. And I've hit game winners in big basketball games and stuff, but it doesn't compare. But I think aside that, even just not being on stage, being in the community, being amongst all the other comedians that, you know, that are broken per se and and had hard lives. Like we're just a group of misfits that come together and we accept each other for who we are. Like there's no, Oh, like you're poor. (laughs) Like most Mm -hmm. of us are poor. It's almost like it doesn't matter. What matters is what do you bring to the stage? That's how you're measured in in that world. Yeah. For the most part, what you bring to the stage and how well you get along with your peers. Mm -hmm. Cause if you get on stage, you do your thing and you get off and you become a recluse mm-hmm. and you're not going to help yourself and you're not going to be able to have that. It's like school. Mm-hmm. So before we get too far, you said that feeling and it's hard to describe. Try to when you do well on stage <laughs> and are there different versions of that feeling? Maybe when you try <clears throat> a joke for the fifth time or maybe you try a joke that is really close to something that matters to you and it pops off. Mm-hmm. What are some of those different feelings like it can all be different you know just situations and and factors and stuff like that's why when you tell jokes you have to tell that same joke over in front of multiple people because you don't necessarily get the right reaction the first time 
it may not translate towards other groups or whatever. But I think that the feeling, man, if I'm telling something personal and they accept it and I get a laugh, then it's a high. If I don't, because it's just you get up on stage and you're opening yourself up to 10 people, to four people, to 150 people. And so if they don't react to it, then you're like, oh, man, I suck. <laughs> or like they don't like me. Essentially, that's what it is. You want them to like you for who you are, and that's where the laughter comes in. But if they don't, then they don't like you. And so now it's a heavier weight. It's like, oh, man, they don't like me for that. So, But you go back to the drawing boards and, and go on. But the feeling you get, and, and I've I've had this a few times. I'm not saying I'm good, but <laughs> I do well. Mm -hmm. No, the feeling, man. The first time that I got that feeling, I performed downtown. It was open mic. And I just remember everything that I would say would get a laugh. And it was just like, just on beat. I would speak, they would laugh. I'd speak, they'd laugh. And then after that, I felt like, not like an ego thing or whatever. I felt like I was above everybody. Like, you're special. Like, you're, like you are in the room of 30, 40 people. And everything that you said, they love you made them happy, you made them laugh. Mm -hmm. And so not everybody's capable of doing that. So you're special. Mm -hmm. And so just walking out of the uh, the room, it was just like a, like a floating feeling, man. Mm -hmm. I remember going to the movie theaters and just like still high, like that feeling where it's like, man, I'm somebody, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm not somebody. I matter. Exactly. I matter, I matter in life. Mm -hmm. And that, as a comic, that's what you want. You want to matter to people because that, is what contributes to your success. Mm -hmm. But then I've had more people. I've been, I've done shows in front of uh, 100 and 200 people and killed it. And the high, man, is you're just untouchable. You, you know, you, everything you say and the reaction, and when you hear those waves of laughter hit you, it, it's, it's a drug. And that's what keeps a lot of people going back and trying to perfect their craft and do better. And But then I've had times where I've done stand up in front of five people and the girl in front of me would just text them the whole time I do my set. So, And I remember that. That was the first time I did stand up like a year and a few months ago. So like you remember these things and, but the high is what keeps you going back. Mm -hmm. And so that's what keeps me trying to perfect a joke or rewrite it or just try to be better. I love that. So in life, one of the four agreements is what? Don't take it personal. Mm -hmm. Is there a point in comedy where you can grow to the point where that one girl, you're just like, I know I matter because 300 people just told me, Get off your damn phone. Or it doesn't matter. Or is it always an exposed nerve? Does it always, you're always kind of looking for that, that click, that acceptance? Yeah. Um, for me, I think it's a gray mat, like a, like in the, in the gray. It's like, I'm going to go up there and if I have jokes that I know work and it doesn't hit, it's okay. Because not every room is the same. Not every room has the same energy. You may have... A whole room that is not focused that could be just side chat and conversations or you, i could do it at a bar and it's just a bunch of people 
who don't care, who just drunk and don't care about comedy. They're there watching a game and mm-hmm. you come in like, here's stand-up. Mm-hmm. Be prepared to laugh. Leave a donation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm somebody, but mm-hmm. you don't know me. Mm-hmm. So there's that gray area where you don't you don't take it to heart, but naturally we want the whole room to care because we want everyone to laugh. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the secret. That's the goal. And I've been there. I had material where I would I'd done for months and I'd go to the improv. I'd do it, kill it, whatever. People would clap. You know, I'd do it all over St. Pete and Tampa. Perfect. And then I got a gig to go up to Tennessee to do like a hosting slash do my run my material for like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I did. And so it's like, I know my material. I know when the laughter should come, should come mm-hmm. <laughs> because I've done it for months. Mm-hmm. And I know when I hit these certain words, there should be laugh, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like that when I went to Tennessee, mm. and so it did. It didn't trans. I don't know if it didn't transition good or translate well, or it's a different place. It was for college kids. There could have been anything, but it didn't discourage me from keeping that material because I know it works. Mm-hmm. It could, it's one night. I think Chappelle was like, "Not every comedian's is prone to a bad night." Even him. Any given Sunday, right? Yeah. Same it, idea. Exactly. Yeah. So it happens. And I had one girl, a black girl, she was like, she called me a racist. So that was fun. And, you know, I'm mixed. I'm, you know, I'm like, and mm-hmm. I was like, how, how am I going to hate myself? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, it was just so weird because I was so confident and I knew it worked, but it didn't. Like, I, I got laughs and everything, but it wasn't what I was used to. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, all right, on to the next. <laughs> I don't know if this is related, but it's something I've always wondered. You can kind of see how comedians, they even talk about it, Chappelle just did in his recent, mm-hmm. how your community, maybe there's two paths. You either ebb and flow with society, mm-hmm. cultural norms, what's cool, what's not cool, what's taboo, what's not. And then there are some that just kind of go against it. Yeah. Uh, and I think the odds are even lower for the ones who actually make it or the ones who disappear. How do you kind of manage you know, even selfishly with this, I think about what can I talk about? What can't I talk about on this? I don't want to upset anybody, but I also want to speak my truth. How do you kind of navigate that? I believe that you you can't put comedy in a box. If you do that, then you're limiting the last form of free speech. Uh, It's all for everyone to interpret. And, you know, a lot of times behind what comedians are saying, there's no malice behind it. It's our messed up perspective on life. And this is how we cope with things around us. So for me, I mean, like I have certain rules that I don't talk about or I don't go far into. And it's only because I want to create a broader opportunities for me. Like I don't want to limit my opportunities because if you're raunchy or dirty, then you can't do certain things over here. So it limits, you know, to what you're able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's tough. It's tougher for comedians that are not known, that don't have a name for themselves because they're the ones that are going against the grain. Mm-hmm. It's because they're risky. They're risking everything. You know, not everyone is going to like them. And to go in a room and talk about what's happening in society, the culture. Maybe on the individual depends on, what culture they're of. Mm-hmm. Maybe some can get away with more than others. Is oh, there for some- sure. For sure. I feel like being mixed, I can get away with anything. So, 
Like I can say white jokes, I can say black jokes, mm -hmm. but not everyone likes that. But mm -hmm. whatever. And and I think if you're clever, if you truly craft a joke and it is good, then you can get away with murder. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I truly believe it, if it is funny, like you, it may not be to everyone, but for the majority, if it's crafted really well, mm -hmm. like I think you can get away with anything. So you feel like we, the audience, can subconsciously sense your motive. So mm -hmm. is your motive to be raunchy? Is your motive to offer an alternate perspective in a funny way? Because I feel like that's what you guys do. You take the universe and you objectify it and you stretch it and you say, but look at it from this angle. Mm -hmm. Why is a cat always looking at its butt? It's just weird things. And yeah. it makes you think twice about it. So when it comes to race, I think, sorry to jump in on this, but I think when it's done right, it reminds us that we're all the same. Yeah. If it's done right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. It's mo most of the audience, if you're a known comic, they know what they're going to get mm. for the most part. You know, mm -hmm. whether you're Bill Burr, Chappelle, whatever, like you're going in there, you know what you're going to get. For the comics that are unknown and you have the crowd, it's, I don't know, as comics, we're like, if you don't like me, I'm not going to change who I am. I'm not going to change me as a person and what I think and my perspectives and views and, you know, change for you. Mm -hmm. And I think those are the people that essentially, like, if they stay at it, they, they make something of themselves. They, you build your fan base. There's mm -hmm. trillions of people, trillions of people in the world. And if you keep at it, like, somebody's going to like your stuff mm -hmm. if it's good, if it's written good. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know, man. I love that. So how have you found, how long have you been doing comedy? I've been doing sketch comedy. I've been writing sketches for like, oh man, like seven, eight years. Damn. Yeah. And then stand up, I've been doing it for a year. Okay. But then COVID happened. And so I've just kind of been on break mm -hmm. and, you know. Just hopping on networks, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Just whoever picks me up, you people see my name mm -hmm. and like, mm -hmm. hey, join me. Yeah, I I've been focusing more on sketch, mm -hmm. trying to stay creative and stuff. And I I'll write premises for stand up or ideals that I have. Mm -hmm. So let me jump in. So eight, eight years, seven plus one. Mm -hmm. So eight years. How have you. How has your life changed? How have has your self-management, your reflection your meditation, however you do that. Mm -hmm. How has that changed as you've learned the inner workings of how comedy affects you and affects other people? My life, oh man, I think for me personally, it's given me a lot more confidence and confidence speaks volumes with anything, job interviews, like people read body language and mm -hmm. can see when someone is confident about something and or see if, if they're scared. And initially like, Initially, like when you go on stage, like people can see if you're scared on stage, like you have these little ticks and things and you put your hands in your pocket or you, know, you keep scratching at your face. And so people see these things and they read you. But if you come off confident, then it's almost like you're you're forcing the audience to believe, regardless if certain things resonate with them or not, but believe that it's funny. Mm. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of psychological, like mind Jedi stuff than just telling a joke on stage. Mm. Because I can focus on one person in the audience 
and the only person that's laughing and keep on going at them and going back and forth because, hey, they're giving me the feedback that I want. So if another person sees that they're laughing, then that may make them question themselves like, oh, man. But like, is this funny? Am I just being dull? Exactly. This may be really funny. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully it it spreads like a fire. You know, you know, those times when like you were a kid, you're with your friends, like y'all just playing around, you laugh and he's laughing and it's, or, or that one friend who just keeps laughing and laughing and laughing. It could be over the stupidest thing, but mm-hmm. then you start to laugh because mm-hmm. it's so ridiculous and so stupid. Mm-hmm. And laughter is contagious like that. So what to you is the definition, not of comedy, of funny? If we can, can, be, if we can be convinced that something is funny, mm-hmm. what is that? What is funny? Well, man, what is funny? I think it's for everyone to their own interpretation. For me, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's I got a big range of what's funny from dark to silly. Mm-hmm. But I, then what's the common denominator or all of that? How can one person laugh because someone else is? How can they be convinced that something's funny just because they're laughing? I think it's just a psychological thing. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it could like there's different variables if that one person's not if that one person's not paying attention and they're noticing this person is laughing a lot then maybe that causes them to focus more and then mm. there's just different things so it's just to me it's like when you're in a room and someone yawns and then someone sees that yawn and then it just whatever it is it causes them to yawn mm-hmm. and then there's been studies on that how like contagious a yawn can mm-hmm. be and i think that translates with laughing as well Mm. Yeah, it could be anything. Maybe they're just not, I don't know, maybe they're just not focusing. I mean, I don't know. Matt, I just force people to think I'm funny. That's no, nah, man, I love it. I'm not trying to put you on <laughs> no, the spot. No, 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 you're good, you're the, good. The takeaway from that that's really cool is no matter what you're doing in life, if you can get one fan, that's all you need. Because like you just said, you can have a rough crowd. All you need is one person. And if you focus on that one person, it can spread through them. Yeah, yeah. and. I don't know. And again, I think there's a psychological factor where someone may look at somebody who's laughing a lot and be like, oh, maybe this person is really funny. Mm. And I just, I I don't want to be left out (laughs) Mm. because a lot of people don't want to be the odd person out Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. Maybe it spreads like that. But to go back to like your initial question, what what was that? How has this journey of comedy affected your personal life? How you manage emotions, crisis, Different yeah, things. I think it's helped me to be able just to manage anxiety because anxiety was huge when I was going into comedy. I remember I would like put my name on the, the list and then the person before me, I would wait like an hour and a half and the person before me would be called up and then I would just go out and cross my name like, man, I waited too long. I, I got to go eat or something. I got to go. My mom want me home. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> So I think it's definitely helped me with anxiety. Like I'm more comfortable on stage. And so I, I, I see that when I'm out in public, like when, when I'm on stage, I've, I've had to let go of caring so much about what people think of me. And so now when I go out, it's like, I don't feel that anymore. I don't feel that anxiety. You know, I used to get anxiety about having to ask a manager something about do you have this in a store or approach a random stranger? Mm. But now, man, I, I'll, I'll talk to a wall. I'll talk to a cereal box. I'll talk to a little baby, not in a weird way, but mm. I'll say, hey, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'll talk to anybody, man, because 
it's people. I love people. People are so different. And so they comedies definitely built that up for me. And now it's like, I love talking to people. And again, it, it just makes me feel good. And that's, that's how I got into comedy because I dealt with so much depression. And then I, I noticed like being with my friends, being in a circle or like being at church and just like having people, old people, young people laugh and laugh. And and it's once you get people laughing, so you want to keep on, you want to keep on trying to get them laugh. You want like, I'm trying to make you pee in your pants if mm-hmm. I can. Like, that's my goal. Mm-hmm. If I can get you to spit your drink out, <laughs> like that's my goal. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of like, it was like a moment of clarity where it's like, yo, why can't I do this? For a living. And so I was like, let me try stand up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was hard, mm-hmm. but I have, I've taken elements away from successful people and applied it to my life. And so living by that, I, I drastically got fat, like better faster mm-hmm. and better than uh, people that's been in in the scene for a while mm-hmm. and you know in 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 the most humble way if that if i could say if that if that mm-hmm. just clears everything up but and it's not me that recognizes it it's everyone else the people that like oh mm-hmm. you want to do a show oh you want to you know do this you want to do that like giving me more opportunities mm-hmm. uh, so what's a bad day look like man getting off work <laughs> shoot man ordering uber eats <laughs> watching a watching a movie, mm-hmm. you know, cuddling. I'm not saying it's a bad day. If my girl's listening, whatever, she's gonna listen. It's not a bad day. It's still a good day. I like mm-hmm. being with you, babe. But I, she she would agree as well because she, she's a writer too. But you know, we have those days. I'm not saying that those are bad. I think for mental health, those days are needed. But when those days are consecutive, turns into days to weeks to a month. And I'm not being productive. I'm not producing something at least once a week. Mm-hmm. Then that's a bad day for me. So how do you climb out of creative block, the ebb and flow of your muse? Man, me? What do I do? I It eats at me so much. Like it literally eats at me. I don't know how to describe it for somebody. It's man, if you... I know I don't get paid for this right now, but if you had a job and you know you had a project and and you don't do it and you're going to get fired and just all of that, like that's me. If I don't do it every day, I'm getting fired every day. The The more that I don't contribute towards my goals and dreams or my craft, the further the the reward gets for me. So I could easily bring that closer with producing content or, or whatever I'm doing, but it eats up. It, like it's a feeling in my heart. It's in my soul. It's in my bones, man. I, it's people are like this dude's weird, uh, hippy dippy stuff. But uh, yeah, it eats at me. And if I'm not doing it, it's at it, some points, like I got to do something and whether start jotting down premises or looking at old stuff. Yeah. So, so what I do is I always have my phone. I always have all my notes and it helps having a partner who is just as equally creative. And so you just, you have to be your own best motivator. If you can't motivate yourself, you'll never do it. 
like you'll never make it with whatever you're doing. You can't rely on other people. Like you have to be able to pull yourself out of things. Yeah, there may be occasions where people will help you get out, but when you're alone, when you're in COVID times, when you're by yourself, if you can't pull yourself out of rut, like it might not be for you. If it doesn't bother you to your core, it might not be your thing. I love that. But what do you mean specifically? What is not your thing? The thing you're trying to chase or the thing you're avoiding <clears throat> that you think you should have? So maybe clarify. I think for a lot of people, there's things that they would love to do. You know, everyone would love to be a celebrity. Mm, <laughs> I love it. Yes. But yeah, everyone yeah. would love to live the lavish life. Everyone would love to be on stage in front of thousands. But it's it's not for everybody. If it was, then everyone would be doing what they love. And so if if it doesn't bother you, if it doesn't rattle your bones, then it might not be the most important thing to you. You know? Yeah, I'd love to, you know, have a Lamborghini. But if I'm not doing the things I need to do to get one, then maybe I don't love it that much. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, that's the best way I can describe it. So yeah, I just try to pull myself out, man. And what about you? Same? Me? Well, I'm literally sitting here appreciating what you're saying because what I hear you saying, I feel like myself included, I'll just speak for myself. There are so many things that I've wanted to do in my life and there are so many different things that I've tried, you know, throwing shit at the wall, whatever you want to call it. When things don't work out, it's like, shit, was that a waste of time? Did mm -hmm. I choose the wrong thing? But I, I love how you said that because it's not like, sure, there are plenty of things that I'd love to do or love to be, but it's your actions that you can kind of reflect on that show you what you're really striving for. Mm -hmm. Kind of an odd example, but maybe like a year ago, I was in a major slump mm -hmm. and I was nihilistic. I was just like, Screw everything. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. But at the same time, I was brushing my teeth. I was going for a walk every day. It, it's really silly, but I thought of it when I was brushing my teeth. And I said to myself, Jojo, why the hell am I brushing my teeth if I really don't care? Like my mind is saying right now, why am I brushing my teeth? Just let them fall out. Mm -hmm. Why am I still taking care of myself and yet I feel like I don't care? And what that told me was somewhere deep down inside of me, I care a lot more than I feel right now. Mm -hmm. So I leaned on that and you know, I, I climbed out of my slump. So, and what you're saying is, if we pay closer attention to our actions, what we're doing and not doing, kind of on a subconscious level, because it just happens mm -hmm. automatic mode, we can use that as a compass to kind of figure out what are we chasing because we should be doing that or because we think we're supposed to do that versus what we're naturally drawn to, what we're born for. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that there's a majority of the population that are destined for greatness, but not everyone like will reach that. And I think it's just because of the lack of effort or the the just the unawareness of this is for them. And yeah, I believe like even with like kids, like try as many things as you want to try because it's only going to narrow the thing. Like you'll truly find what you love out of that. And there's always growth from things that you try. You know, you find things out about yourself. But yeah, I... <clears throat> yeah, it's... I don't know. You have to 
one of my one of my favorite quotes is a lot of people want to be great to start, but you have to start in order to be great. And so a lot of people want greatness right away. And it doesn't happen like that. Like all these people that's successful, whether TV or music or whatever, like they've had to put in the time and everything they've had to, you know, sacrifice. And if that thing that you love is not worth sacrificing, then maybe it's not for you. Mm. I don't know. That's just something I can speak for myself and, and and maybe it helps other people to kind of like look at what they're really doing. And I'm not saying it's it's bad to want a normal life, to to work nine to five and come home and watch movies with your girl or alone or play games. Like whatever makes you happy. Whatever brings you happiness in life. And for me it's stand up. I can come home and watch movies and stuff. It gives me some sort of fulfillment, but it's not the happiness that stand up gives me. It's not the happiness that creative, like creating gives me because still watching movies, I find myself looking at how they're filming this movie, exactly. the things that they're saying, mm-hmm. like practical things that would happen that they're not doing, you yeah. know? So I call that shifting from being a consumer to an observer. Mm-hmm. So that happened to me with books for a while. I was just blindly consuming all this, but now I look at it like, what frame of mind was the author in when they wrote this? What are their intentions? Right. What's what's really lurking underneath their mind as they write, you know, no, all that stuff? No, exactly. And that's, I think that's just that next level of, of wanting growth. Like, what can you, like, what's their minds, their mindset? What's their perspective? And then you do that with everything else. Then you take that perspective and you can look at other things in that perspective or like just different point, points of views. And maybe you start to empathize with people more yeah. instead of just having a narrow mind and shutting off your brain and just consuming stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and that's creators for you. <laughs> so do you remember the moment when you either decided or it just naturally clicked for you that comedy bits stand up was you was your natural gravity well as a kid i was always goofy i always made people laugh I always everybody you know in my family seen my butt and stuff even my grandma like i was just that kid so i <laughs> I, I didn't think that showing my butt would get me money mm-hmm. and i don't do that now <laughs> They have places for that. <laughs> exactly. I don't know if I'm willing to go down that road yet, but nah, I was just, man, I was just in such a cycle where like I enjoyed making people laugh and I never, I never was aware. I never was like really like woke to the point where I was taking a step away from myself and looking at the things that I'm doing and what's bringing me the happiness because a battle with depression for most of my life and part of it not knowing what it what was going on with me and i would just find those temporary pleasures those temporary happiness those things that would make me happy for the moment and those aren't always good and so i think that man honestly i think that when i had probably like my first best set on stage like i knew okay this is for me like that mm-hmm. feeling it's it's something about being on stage, being able to, you know, give your energy to people. And and what you're doing as a stand-up comic is 
you're you're creating happiness. You're rele- releasing endorphins in there. You're changing them chemically at that moment. You're causing them to re- release endorphins and feel happiness. So at that moment, I think that laughter, when you're laughing at your hardest, you are at your happiest moment in life because you're not thinking of the worst things. Like you, it's, you're just happy. You're pure, just happiness. And you want more of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's a lot of things that can bring that feeling and to be on the, be on stage and to be able to have people forget about their troubles for 10 minutes, for five minutes, for 10 minutes, for 20 minutes. And to get away from their stresses, their anxieties, to will I have enough money for rent, all of that for that moment. That's what brings me back. That's mm-hmm. what's special about stand up. Mm-hmm. Like that's what like gives me this high. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a drug. So that's don't do amazing. drugs, kids. So it, so it's <laughs> like a selfish slash selfless act. Yeah, it's part therapy for you. Get your get your shit out, but mm-hmm. then you're able to affect the world. Like you're almost like hitting a button and saying, "Be happy." Be happy. Exactly. Be happy. That's yeah. Amazing. If you're not happy, then get out of here. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. I never thought about that. It's selfless, but also selfish at the same time because you want people to like you. You want to be the best. You want to, you know, be the only special person in the room. But I also want to bring happiness to people. And when I was dealing with depression and stuff, I noticed that like when I would make people laugh, that would feed into my endorphins and happiness. Was it healthy? Maybe not. But, you know, it kept me going back and trying to, you know, get better and and maneuver through all of that while trying to get help as well on the side. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned years of depression. How old were you when that kind of started? And what was that like? Well, I, I didn't, like, I didn't know what depression was. I didn't know why I felt the way I felt, why, you know, like I hit my head on the wall as a kid, why I did the things that I did, why I felt empty sometimes. And like growing up, like with single mom and stuff, like it was, it was like, suck it up. Like you, you're good. Like depression wasn't a thing. So wasn't a thing that was talked about. Yeah. It wasn't talked about a lot. It Mm -hmm. wasn't like uh, there was no awareness about depression. It was like, you're good, tough, toughen up. Your life's not that bad. Go from there. Like you'll be, you'll be fine. But I think, let me see, probably like 2000, 2009, 2010 or so is when I really started to be aware of like the things that I was going through and like life could be going good for me. Even, even now, like life will be good and it'll come out of nowhere and I'll be like, man, I'll feel empty. I'll feel like I don't want to do anything. Like I just want to lay in bed. And, you know, I think the important thing is having some, having your friends know when you're going through that or having your partner know. And I'm thankful that my partner's there for me in those instances because it's like, hey, I have in one of those days. And so she knows what to do to to get me out. Like whether, you know, wrestle me or <laughs> take me outside, fresh air, let's go exercise. So are you saying sometimes it just creeps up, not related to any kind of specific circumstance? Yeah. 
Yeah. And sometimes there there's triggers, but then sometimes like I it'll come out of nowhere and I'll I'll feel just just empty. I'll feel sad. I'll feel I feel alone. And that's like the scariest thing. Mm-hmm. But like my worst, my worst uh, time of like depression was like when I was, I was married and stuff. And I realized as I started to to grow in myself and everything, I realized that like a lot of things in my past affected me as a person now. A lot of ways as being raised or or situations that had happened to me as a kid affected me now. And I always had the tough mentality, like, like, I'll be fine, suppress it, you'll be fine. When I go through these little things, just, just power through it, you'll be fine. And naturally, a lot of males are like that, like, you have to be tough. You can't break down anybody, you can't. So naturally, like, when I would go through these things, these depressions, it started getting more and more and more because I wasn't happy. And I started reaching out and, and, and just doing things that were just bad for me as a person. You know, drugs, just sexual stuff. And it was just like the worst time of my life. And when I decided like like my marriage and stuff was wasn't it anymore and I couldn't give anything else and I had I just felt messed up as a person and and just just lost who I was so that I decided that that wasn't it so we we separated and stuff and but then that's when depression hit like like the worst in my life like I had bad times I thought were bad but this was this was a different beast and just feeling like I was the worst person like ever. And, and like, you know, you know, when you hurt somebody and you, you, you can just hear that person in your head. And that was like that every day. And, uh, I didn't I didn't want to be here. Like I didn't want to experience that every day. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to experience the hurt. I didn't want to experience days where I were just empty. Like my heart and everything, it just felt cold. And luckily, I had somebody around me that that cared enough for me, which is funny because we had just met in comedy and we just started we just started like we just clicked. And I think that that was a blessing because I don't know if I didn't have her or anybody or, or like the close friends that I do that I, I wouldn't have been here because it was just so bad that like I wanted to, you know, take pills and just 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 go to sleep and, and not be here anymore. And, um, you know, I just cry myself tonight, cry myself to sleep every night. And just it, it would I would just beat myself up 
Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, I guess when you're in that, for, for me, I, I tend to focus on, yeah, you don't focus on good things. I focus on all the bad things and play the tape over and over, over. And, yeah. yeah. And, and you, you hear that person, you hear these situations, you hear when you hurt people. And so the best thing for me was like, just not be here. Mm-hmm. And she, she just reminded me like, you know, that I have people that care for me and that I needed to be here, that I had a purpose. But it was it 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 was the worst, the worst depression. And it it ran for months. Mm. And I you know, I remember like, you know, she took me to like a concert that I wanted to go to and like it was like yeah, it was good. It was fine. I, I, I was happy in that moment, and because I guess maybe my attention was off of everything. But as soon as, as soon as I got back, it was like, it's like, yo, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, mm-hmm. like it's. I mean, as as a comedian, like I. I just how I cope with stuff, laugh, la- mm-hmm. laugh it off or whatever. But so looking back on that, have you, is it far enough away where you can kind of see the lesson in that experience or you can see the growth or the reason? I mean, there's a reason why we experience pain. There's a reason why we experience regret. Have you gotten to that point with that chapter? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm at the point where I'm aware of the past from a young age mm-hmm. and how how it's affected me now as as a grown man and I never paid attention to it I never you know I was like that that doesn't control me but I suppressed it and it it was the force behind me acting out or doing things that finding happiness and whether it be drugs or whatever in, in just different areas in my life when I wasn't happy, like when depression would creep in, I was like, okay, let me find something that makes me happy right away. Mm-hmm. And that was me coping and dealing with it. And mm-hmm. that that shouldn't have been the case. So I, so it, it's, it's helped me to be aware of my flaws mm-hmm. and, the things I need to work on as a person and that I need help. Can't do it alone. No lone soldier. Uh, uh-uh. yeah. Like, I, I don't think anybody should do it alone. You know, especially when you deal with something like this, it's, it's scary because all it takes is to get you at the right time, you know, be alone or, when there's not a lot of people because it wants you to cut everybody off. It wants you to isolate, isolate yourself. Like isolation is the thing. And that's where it gets dangerous because when you're isolated and and your mind's running and like you're thinking of the worst things, you know, all it takes is a moment of weakness to act on anything. So that's what the semicolon is for. Pause. That's yeah. Because, like you said, 
takes one moment. Yeah, I've seen I've seen people who have those as tattoos, mm-hmm. just as a reminder. So, but you know, d- is it over? No, mm-hmm. like you know, uh, I do experience like mild times of it when it comes and stuff, and, and especially being in COVID and changing, you know, you know, things that make me happy, like creatively. Yeah, I write, I write sketches, I film. But, you know, there's, there's, like I said, there's no feeling like being on stage and, you know, it, it's, it's been tough and I'm just thankful I have a partner who understands mm-hmm. and who knows when I'm in that headspace, who knows what to do, who knows how to listen, who knows how to just be there. And that's, and that's, you know, I, I, I she, she saved my life and I tell her that because like it it, it was bad mm-hmm. <sighs> my bad dude <laughs> oh man I'm just I'm sitting here appreciating you I I I'm kind of on this mission. I feel like there has to be a reason we feel depressed. It's like why why is that a part of the system? You know. It's I read up on it because I was like, man, what is this? Like mm-hmm. what is this stuff? And so like obviously you, there's two forms of it where you have like a chemical imbalance. And then there's just an emotional imbalance. And that's the chemical imbalances. I guess both of them, you just suppress it with medicine or I honestly don't know. Like I I see a therapist. So for me, talking helps me. Mm -hmm. And when I'm aware, I had had a time like a few weeks ago where I I woke up and I just, I felt empty and Mm -hmm. it was just, weird is out the blue i told my partner i was like i i feel distant from you and it's so weird because we we were good we've been fine but that's just when it comes knocking it's it's not gonna give you a heads up it's not gonna but it's also huge that you could objectify your emotion and communicate that to her mm-hmm. that that's, that's some, huge that's something that i learned from like my marriage is like i didn't communicate mm. and i didn't give my partner at the time the opportunity to be there Mm -hmm. to help me and so now like my foundation is is communicate through everything sometimes i over communicate and my partner lets me know (laughs) she's like why are we still talking about this yeah yeah but I I would rather do that than under because I've seen mm-hmm. the under communication side mm-hmm. of me and I don't want that. So, yeah, so when I'm feeling off, I'm like I'm feeling off. I don't know what it is. So, you know, bear with me, like send me a lot of texts saying you love me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like fill me up, fill my love tank up, whatever you got to do, just be here for me mm-hmm. until I figure it out. 
and and some some that times the last time we talked and we talked and we talked and I recognized okay it's probably just depression creeping in you know everything is good but it's just it's a feeling like try to focus on good things exercise do the things that produce good chemicals in your body it's amazing how powerful those basic things are sleep water healthy food choices it yeah it's, it's amazing it is and we all avoid it like it's the plague exactly man it, it's so like it's so it's so crazy like i'm not saying it cures it but it definitely helps a lot you know when you have a healthy body it gives you a fair shot a fair shot yeah and that's and sometimes you know a lot of people wish that they just had that fair shot yes so that's what medication did for me mm-hmm. so i learned that medication was never gonna fix it it was never gonna solve it i was blessed to have uh psychologist psychiatrist i always get that mixed up Mm. but i was blessed enough to have him tell me that from the very beginning steven this is not going to fix you this is literally going to give you a fair shot it's going to get you out of those depths so that you can figure your shit out you can work it out develop habits objectify your like all those things yeah it's a fair shot and I i like that once you know that hey this won't fix you now you won't ever hold on to that. You won't ever hold on to like, okay, one day I'll be fixed. One day I'll be fixed. I'm broken. I'm broken. I'm broken. Now you'll have like, okay, I can get through this. You know, and you'll have accountability. You'll realize it's up to me, mm-hmm. not this little bottle. It's yeah. on my counter. Yeah. Mm. So that's yeah, man. It's, well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. that's. <laughs> Yeah, I don't talk about it a lot and until I have episodes or whatever, but, um, you know, I know everybody goes through something, some form or mm-hmm. form of struggle, but find, again, find what makes you happy and stick to that and cling on to that and keep people around you and communicate. Because when you don't, and again, you get isolated and it can just go the wrong way. Slippery slope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when you when you have people that care and when they know and you give them the chance to be there for you, then that can that can truly be a lifesaver, especially mm-hmm. in my case. Well put. You give them a chance. Yeah. To, yeah. That's it. I think it was uh, Garth Brooks. He had a song, lyrics that said, you get the love that you allow. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn. Yeah, because people get in that state and they they shut people, and I'm guilty. Like I I'll shut people off because because when you, like it's you, you it's draining to communicate to people. Like when you're going through it, when you're going through the battle, it is so emotionally exhausting, and that's why people just want to lay in bed. That's why I want to lay in bed because it is so exhausting to get out of bed to talk with somebody about everything. But I try to force myself to do it because I know that's the healthy option and I don't want to look towards the past. And I know what the bottom feels like. I know what having suicidal thoughts feel like. I And I know that's not a good place. So I, I have to talk to people. And I've told myself I have to talk to people when I'm like that. Mm-hmm. There's no other option. And, and it's just exhausting. But... You, you you have to. Mm-hmm. 
I remember telling myself, you can't think your way through this. You think, well, I have all this brain power. I can figure this out somehow, but there's no way to think through it. Mm -hmm. You have to go out and, like you said, talk to somebody, do something. Yeah, I I thought that I could do that. I thought mm -hmm. that I could think my way through. I thought that I could suppress it. Mm -hmm. But what it did was just eat me up inside. Literally. Yeah. 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 And it, it and, and when I would be at, in the slump, I would find whatever it is to make me feel happiness at any cost. And risking my character, risking my health. And yeah. Did you perform during this time? Yeah, that was, so when I was going through the transition and, and moving my stuff out and just crying every night for like, like two months straight, just balled up and literally having like my friend just hold me and just like, it's going to be okay every night. It was like I would do stand up the night before or that night, but it, it's the moment when you, when there's silence. It's when there's silence. Like stand up was my therapy. Like I was, I was doing like three, four, sometimes five mics a week to keep my mind going to find that instant happiness so that I didn't go to drugs or, or any other form of temporary happiness. And, it it was it. I'm realizing this right now. <laughs> like, like uh, <laughs> it it was just at night when my mind, when my mind had like silence and had time to think about everything and dwell on everything. Like that's when it got me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just seeing that now. It's like. Again, like talking about being alone and stuff, but like seeing that's when it got me. And it's just, it's just wild looking back at it now. You almost didn't want to go to bed. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I, you know, I, I would go get off work 530 and I would be at a mic from 7 to 10, 10, 30, 11 sometimes. And do it again the next day, Monday, Tuesday, go to Tampa or St. Pete, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, hopefully have a show on Friday or, or find something. Sometimes Wednesdays and do it on Sundays. So it was just filling that void, that emptiness with laughter. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to that selflessness of like, making wanting people to be happy mm -hmm. but also dealing with the beast inside of me as well mm -hmm. and when i made people happy that made me happy for that moment until it i got i lay down at night and then but my partner was there and she 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 saved me so <sighs> yeah And so I'm thankful every day that I wake up now, you know, because life is, is precious, is valuable. And, you know, what happens after life, nobody really knows. And that's, you know, that's, that's a scary thought as well. And 
But when you're wrapped up, like you don't think that way. You don't think about the people around you. You think that people would be better off and really you would hurt a lot of people that care. I saw a really good, I won't say quote, but line in regard to that. And it's not that people who commit suicide necessarily want to hurt themselves. They just want the pain to stop. Yeah. Yeah. They want the pain. They want the pain to go away. They want the emptiness. They, uh, for me, it's feeling alone and you don't want to feel those feelings anymore or feeling that you hurt somebody Mm -hmm. and knowing that, you know, you cause them pain. Mm -hmm. Me, I'm very empathetic. Like I can empathize with a lot of people. I can, I can feel what people feel. I can put myself in their shoes and flip it and, and see me and feel things that I do to people. And that's what hurts the most is being able to feel that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's tough. It's like, you know, do you, do I want that to go away? No, because I want to be able to, you know, understand people. But also it, if I'm the cause of the hurt, then that's where it hurts me. It's like, um, you know, people who don't understand depression, depression, it's like the, the they think that money, they think that fame, and there's several examples, but like, I think everyone knows Robin Williams, Robin Williams, and the dude was just pure happiness, a ball of happiness and energy, and he made everybody happy around him and laugh, and you watch his movies and you just feel the happiness. But again, that's when you battle with this depression it's like when all that's gone when you're alone or whatever you know or if you're just suppressing it and it slowly eats at you and i don't know if you reached out or or what but you know it it, it can get the best of people Mm -hmm. It's, it's not all about money or what's in your bank account it's really just and then balancing your body mm-hmm. chemically or emotionally. And it's just tough. Yeah, I've been reading his book. It's it's a very interesting story about how he grew up and how he went to school and the crazy nights and living in L.A. and running from drug to drug, woman to woman. Mm-hmm. It's a similar. It's almost not an original story. The more people share their story, the more this comes out, the more celebrities, the more truth you realize about celebrities. And that's, that's what I wonder is like, why is this a thing? I have a question for you. So when you've mentioned a couple times, you feel so alone. Unpack that for me. And before you do that, I've thought about that and I've, I can empathize with you in so many ways. This is uh, it reminds me of a lot of things, but I remember feeling so alone until reading whatever. I saw a couple things and I put it together that made me wonder, am I actually alone because I'm still here? It's when I didn't realize I was here and that I have a relationship with myself. And, and you talked about this with 
kind of getting the external happy versus the internal happy. With all that said, what what does that alone feeling feel like? I mean, uh, that's, that's good because, I, I mean, I think from what you said, like I am still learning to love myself and let go a lot of things in the past and not depending on others for gratification or any kind of self-worth, you know, because when you can do that yourself and, and you know who you are, then I think that, you know, lessens the, the feeling of feeling of alone because you know who you are and you know that, you know, it's it's fine. Feeling alone, dude. Uh, it, it's it, it's it's weird. It's when you're in a dark place, you don't you don't think of the good things. Um, you know, when you argue with a spouse or a friend or whatever, a lot of arguments tend to focus on the the bad, and you overlook a lot of the good. You know, you know, it's like if I was in an argument and said like, "You never do anything sweet for me because I'm so focused on the moment that she, you know, a person didn't do something sweet to me." But then if the person's like, "Well," This morning I did this. Yesterday I did this. This over the weekend we just I did this for you mm-hmm. because we're so fixated on that bad or that emptiness or not getting what you what's the root of the argument or whatever. So like feeling alone, it's like nobody cares. I think that's that's the big part of it is that no one cares about you and that's just probably where I lack just love for myself and and a knowledge about myself that like it's not needing to rely on other people but it it's a feeling it's a feeling that nobody cares nobody loves you It's just empty. Mm-hmm. And I think love is one of the greatest emotions that someone can give and you can feel. And there's nothing like it. And when that's not there and you feel alone and isolate yourself, then that's just where it gets tiring. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to do it anymore. And you just want to sleep and not wake up. And, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot with religion in me as well. And, you know, uh, God and trying to understand that he's there as well. But, you know, when you're shaking, I've, I've been... My my partner turned turned me on to Hooper Network. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but it's so Let's good. It. <laughs> so she has like these Sunday service kind of things, where she, but it's not necessarily like you know just Christianity is Buddhism, just like all these principles and like uh, a, a religion. So how did you do? You remember the point at which it felt like you were climbing out and things were progressing, getting better, the bouts with bad days, sad days, we're getting fewer 
and farther between? Honestly, it, it took everything in my partner to, I, I, I leaned on her heavy and she was there for me. She, she would tell me the things that I need to hear. And some days would be better than others. Some days I'd go forward, but then the next I'd go backwards and she'd have to repeat herself. And it's just a constant like chipping away of trying to rewire the thinking and trying to stop thinking in a negative light and trying to stay positive and not stop for me, stop dwelling on it. You know, this is done. There's nothing you can change, but you can change yourself. You can't change the past, but you can change yourself and prevent from doing that again. And it, it, it literally, it, it's not looking a week ahead, a month ahead. It's taking each day at a time because each day brought a different feeling or a different situation or it allowed me to feel okay. But then the next day it'd be back. And so literally it's a day by day thing and it's a constant reassurance and a constant changing your, your thinking process and trying to remember the good, remember the positives and, and, and relying on that. And so, yeah, just gradually it started to get better for me, but I, I knew it wasn't fixed. Um, I can only work on myself so much, but, uh, you know, that's when I saw professional expertise and to, to kind of analyze me and, and help me maneuver through things. And why am I thinking like this? And why, why was I like this? And, and so that's what I did. And I, I still do it today. And that was over a year and a few months ago. So it, it's a constant work and, and trying to find things that help you get stronger, get better change your thought process. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't occasionally feel bad. Like talking about all this brings up those same emotions because I hate feeling that way. I hate knowing that I did the things that I did. I hate knowing that I hurt the people that I hurt. And so I just do everything in my power not to be that same way. My father said something very wise with respect to relationships and, you know, a lot of times relationships don't work out because of whatever reason. But the thing that he said was, he said, it's one thing to forgive the other person for whatever, whatever they did and whatever they didn't do. The real challenge is forgiving yourself. Yeah. And that's, that's just something that, it, that's hard for me is forgiving myself. It's not an easy thing. And, I think that I can't even say if I've truly forgiven myself and it's just something that I work at and, you know, yeah, that, that, that's, that's the challenge. That is the big challenge is being able to forgive yourself for what you did and the, the, the hurt that you caused the harm and, and everything else. Um, it's a, it's a daily thing. Mm-hmm. Dang it, Oprah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, man, that's 
that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But yeah, comedy is has been my other form of non-professional therapy. So it, it helps me, you know, helps me to feel happiness, helps me to it get, it's it helps me to feel love. And it's, I love the craft. I love the writing. I love the challenges. Yeah. But I don't know. Do you deal with it? Or is it, or should I say, is it, is it heavy? Is it, I, I, I know you said you take things to kind of level the field out for you. Mm. I mean, you want the kind of the quick whole story? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's this, this is about you, but uh, <laughs> I mean, to honor what you've done today. So it, it kind of started, we moved towns between junior high and high school and you know how that is mm-hmm. so it kind of started then no one really knew what it was especially me 11th grade i remember going to summer school or 10th grade going to summer school at summer school i met some interesting cats <laughs> and that's when it all changed uh-huh. lots of drugs lots of drinking lots of promiscuity still didn't know what it was I had no idea but that was the beginning of manic episodes self-anesthetizing as my mother used to say Mm -hmm. self-medicating i've heard that before long history of mental illness in my family my meme so well my grandmother very severely bipolar on lithium that's the hard stuff pepe or the father alcoholic mildly schizophrenic on my father's side a lot of alcoholism Mm. depression so it was just everywhere so started on medication and then just to kind of Summarize 17 years on medication, seeing counselors, psychiatrists. I started at a, at a counselor, went to the psychiatrist, the psychologist. It was very smart. But I remember telling him for, at the very beginning, I said, we're going to solve this problem. Like I always said, will I come off medication someday? He said, it gives you a fair chance. It can help adjust your chemistry or it can get you to change your life to adjust your chemistry. Uh, so that was always the goal because as I saw people through all these years, I went on different combinations. So I was always on Depakote, which is designed for people with epilepsy. Mm -hmm. So people who have seizures. And what it does is it kind of short. So if your brain waves are like this, it's electricity, it kind of shortens it. So you don't go too high or go too low, short circuit and have a seizure. But it's also used for stabilizing people with a mood disorder. But basically it's a sedative. Yeah. Right. Uh, So I always took that the whole time. And then in between that, it was like, oh, try this for your depression. Try this for your anxiety. Try this for your depression. Try this. Try. <laughs> so it was yeah. always like we were trying to figure out the perfect combo cocktail, yeah. if you will. But it was always side effect this, side effect that kind of works. Now it doesn't. I can't sleep. I'm too tired. Like it's all these different things that you're messing with. And I appreciated your comment. It is so true how powerful your body is and how it can heal itself. So 17 years, a lot of distraction, mm-hmm. artists, alcohol, women, and workaholism. But yeah, dude, like I had a relationship in my mid-20s, and what I called that was lovesick. And I've never been more lovesick in my life than after a relationship. We were together like four years, we broke up, and brother, like I know what you mean, going to bed every night in the fucking tape player, 
wake like literally googling how do i kill myself with tylenol pm yeah googling it and buying tylenol pm and taking one and then taking another and then being like let's see what happens right is to the yeah just the the easiest way out because i can't take this tape player no nothing i did changed it and but what it was was i put all of my a theme that i hear you referring to is a lot it, it feels like a lot of what you lean on is external you said fill my cup tell me you love me send me text no one cares and that's why i'm i'm being very careful because I'm not a fucking psychologist. Yeah. I just know my experience and I don't want to put that on you. But a lot of what you're saying is external. And I did the same thing because when that relationship was over, I was literally nothing. I say the bottom dropped out because mm-hmm. I was, there was no, there was nothing underneath me because I put my entire universe, not necessarily in her, but in this external relationship, my confidence, my sense of well-being, my character, how I viewed myself because I was the boyfriend, you know, right. Everything was external. You took that away. I literally had nothing to where I was just like, I just need to take these pills. Cause I don't, I have nothing. Yeah. I remember sitting on the side of my bed, just like crying, like wrenched crying, like everything just hurt. I can empathize is the point. So seeing some really, I always struggled with relationships. Uh-huh. I was almost afraid to get into relationships because I was afraid I knew that I couldn't deal with getting out. But looking back, obviously many years later, it's because I, I literally put myself in that relationship. It, that's dangerous. That's really foolish. Yeah. It's like taking this, putting it in a glass jar and rolling it down the street. Yeah. That breaks, you're done. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's where, you know, I, yeah, I still work on, Heck, my therapist told me she was like, yeah, you you have to love yourself more. <laughs> and I don't know what it is. It's like, you know, when you're in love with somebody, like you want to give them your all and and this and that. And like y- you you cling on to that happiness and and, you know, that's that's what you do. But so you mentioned fill my cup, watch or Google um, you know how Jada Pinkett does the red table? Mm-hmm. There's a there's one with her and Will Smith, and he, they talk about their challenges and what they went through. But he says, and I learned that you have to fill your own cup. I can't fill it for you. Yeah. So the thing I learned about relationships, it's not one plus one equals two. It's one plus one equals three. Yeah. There's you, there's me, and there's us. Yeah, Will, he has a great thing that he says where you you have to enter a relationship being able to be happy on your own yourself you have to you can't put it on your person for them to make you there's happy. no you complete me jerry Maguire. like it, that doesn't work yeah, yeah yeah you have to complete yourself and your partner has to complete their self and then you you come together mm-hmm. and you bring it together mm-hmm. but uh, and it's true and and that's you know you know that's what i struggle with is like like, like I know I can be okay. I know that life will go on or whatever, but I don't know. I put everything in and that's just, I got to find that, that, that balance mm-hmm. where I love myself just as, as much as I love the people around me or my partner. And I don't know, maybe it's my flaw. <laughs> so. mm, I wouldn't say flaw. 
Yeah. You know, you have strengths that other people don't have. It's, I don't know. I don't know how to describe that. I don't think it's a flaw though. Because I, maybe that I was born with that opinion because when I was diagnosed with bipolar, when I turned 18, which was like a year later, I literally, you know how you had these memories, you know exactly where you were mm-hmm. and all that. I remember walking in the living room and I said to my mom, this is not going to be my curse. This is not going to be my crutch. I see this as a blessing. If I can go very high and very low, I see that as I'm gifted with a wider perspective than maybe other people have. Mm-hmm. It's a gift as long as I can weather the storm. Yeah. So it's not necessarily a flaw. That's why I was I was trying to get at what is sadness? What's a bad day? Like, what does that mean for you? What does it teach you? Because I feel like it's possible to turn this into your superpower. Mm-hmm. If you can get so low and so sad and feel everyone around you, that's a superpower. If you're super high and egoic and full of power, you don't give a shit about how other people feel. So I'm trying to find meaning in sadness. I'm trying to find meaning in your depression. And maybe it is an elevated sense of empathy. Yeah. And if we can view it as a gift. Oof, that's good. Perspective is everything. So how you look at something, if you look at it in a, in a negative light, it can be bad. But just as well as bad, you can pull out the good in it. It can be good as well, as, as long as you're able to get through the storms and not allow it to consume you. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I, I I like that a lot, like uh, not looking at it as a law. And, that, and that's just where over the course of the year or year or two, where I've just been trying to rewire my thought process because your mind is everything. Your mind, it's not easy. Like I still like I can know the formula to an equation, but when I'm in it, it's like I forget that formula and it's like I focus on the, the failure, it's hard in the moments, but when I look back, I try to be happy for the trials because it's, it's, I'm not the per- best, I'm not perfect, but it's made me who I am today. It's given me the voice that I have. It's given me the perspective that I have and the ability to, you know, want to help others, want to see people well off and, and better and not struggle and see the world in a better place. And if you're not helping and want to help people, if, if, you, if you're not trying to help people in your life, then, then what are you doing for the rest of your life? What is life for me if I'm not trying to help others? Mm-hmm. Like if, if it's all about me, I think that's just selfishness. You know, I, I want to leave imprint. Uh, you know, I want to create change. You know, it's all perspective. I'm grateful for the rough time for seeing my family go through crazy stuff, stabbing each other, drugs, stealing from each other, grandmas. I'm I'm thankful that I'm not just a buttoned up person, and I the the ability to adapt, and you know life is life is fascinating. It's, mm. you know, I can't live in a bubble, man. There's there's so much to it, whether just as a person, the in-depthness of your energy, your soul, your mind, and how much power you have as a person. 
you know, all the way to the words that you speak, people don't understand that like the words that you speak have a power within itself. And that's why when you're around people that gossip or people that you can feel them drain the life and energy from you. When people speak negativity towards you, you feel that because there's power in these words. And that's the the deepness in life that I'm glad that my eyes are open to. So my thing is do the best I can do each day and try to leave my print and try to make somebody happy. So it sounds like there's meaning in your suffering. Yeah. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, I, w- I would agree. There's, a, there's an enormous amount in, <clears throat> in the reason why I want to highlight that is the next time you have a day, a day, mm-hmm. everyone knows what that means. If you can, until that day, program your mind to accept that there is meaning in suffering, there is meaning in all of this pain, the next time you have a bad day, I'll speak for myself, I tell myself there's a reason for this. Maybe it's time for me to reflect. Maybe it's time for me to feel the sadness I've been ignoring for a long time. Maybe it's time for me to be more empathetic and observe the world around me. I've been too eye-centric, eye-focused. Mm-hmm. It, it like exposes your nerves. It's very mm-hmm. uncomfortable, but that's what helps me get through. Whether it's a day, three months, six months, whatever. There's a reason it's causing that reflection. It's causing you to slow down long enough to play the tape over because maybe there's something you're missing. Yeah, no, it, it's it's good. It's you know you know burying things that you deal with on a day to day. It's you know maybe it is your body. Your body's speaking up for itself. Like there is something there that's that's off, and you have to focus on this, and you have to figure out how to get through this internally, uh, you know, because I, I believe that your body alerts you however it needs to alert you. And, but that's true. I, I need to write that down on a board. And I, I'm, I'm so for like leaving post-it notes. Like you, again, you can have the formula, but sometimes when you're in the storm, you, you can't see that you have everything you need to get through it. Mm. And sometimes you need those reminders and, I'm all for writing stuff down just as a reminder because, you know, you you get so fixated on just the feeling and the badness and you forget all the tools that you have that can help you. Mm -hmm. But when someone else goes through it, you're like, boom, 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 boom. I'm a doctor. I got you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I got all the answers for you. What do you need? Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you go through yourself, you tend to forget. I tend to forget a lot. (laughs) Same, because I remember feeling like, shit, I can do this. Like, I can see someone else's thing and be like, boop, 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 Mm -hmm. like you said. But then I'm like, with myself. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. No, not all the time. I mean, it's what it is. That's the whole point. Yeah. It's a whole point. Well, thank you, your, your fans and audience. I think we went over a little bit. <laughs> Something I learned, there's no such thing as too long. There's too boring. So there's a lot of meat here. It's all in how it's presented. And if they want to listen, they can. If they want to hit stop. I, I learned something from actually Jessica's friend. She's an artist. She went to the fancy artist school in Sarasota. Very talented. 
And I was, she was asking me about the the podcast and I was him and hawing. I was dripping with imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Ah, you know, it's just a thing, whatever. <laughs> no one's going to care. Who, who am I to do this? Blah, blah. And she said, when you create a piece of art, the process of creating that art has everything to do with you. As soon as you share that, hit publish, hang it on a wall, submit it to whatever. It has nothing to do with you after that. Because when someone sees it, views it, enjoys it, it's their experience. It means everything to them based on everything they went through until that moment that they experienced that. It has nothing to do with you. So it really doesn't matter whether they like it or don't, whether they listen to the whole thing or don't. It has nothing to do with you. The magic is in the production and the process. You and I connecting right now, how therapeutic this was for each of us. We have good intentions. It almost doesn't matter yeah. after this. And if it, I mean, if it reaches just one person. Exactly. That's all that I love that because you fucking, you just said that. You said that that's, that's what stood out to me. It's like all you need is one person in that audience. That's a callback, baby. Focus on one. <laughs> yes. And then it can spread from there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole goal of this podcast is one person. Mm-hmm. And if it changes the way they talk to their child, oh man! imagine that. A whole lifetime, a whole life is changed. Imagine, you can think of a few moments. I know this. When you were younger, when some family member said a certain thing to you, and that was imprinted on your psyche. Mm-hmm. Whether it was probably negative, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So if this one episode changes, it, maybe it makes them reflect for just a moment, mm-hmm. and they say something differently. And a whole life has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's why I admire what you're doing and what you're focusing on and everything because it's all about creating positive change. And again, if we can reach out one person, or if this can reach out one person and change, and that's how they treat their kid or treat the next person, it's it's all about. It's like throwing pebbles, mm-hmm. right? And then the the ripples. So, this is, this is good. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen, man. Preach it. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. So, I love this episode. I, I love this conversation, but I do want to respect our listeners' time. Mm-hmm. Wrapping up, two more questions. One, are there any resources, books, videos, talks, anything that really lit you up in, I'd say, the last eight years in your journey? Yeah, probably Cat in a Hat. Okay. That's that's my book right there. Why? I'm just playing. Oh man, <laughs> I was like, I was like, there's some nuggets there's some in deep in, stuff. <laughs> now there probably is. Like that man <laughs> had wisdom and stuff. No, um, I wish. So I I'm not an avid reader. I try whatever it is. Yeah, whatever. I, like, but I am so for reading. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to make that a habit. I'm trying to pick that up as a habit. Mm-hmm. I read a book called Relentless. Mm-hmm. It's the guy that trained Michael Jordan. He trained Kobe and not just physical trained, but mentally trained as well. Mm-hmm. And so change, like rewiring your brain. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe that you have to do that because we're conditioned at an early age, a young age, w- whether it be school or environment and stuff. And <clears throat> you have to get rid of bad habits. You have to rewire your mind mm-hmm. and it takes time and mm-hmm. you got to figure out how to do that. And just dedication relentlessness sacrifice all the things 
all the the formula that it takes to be successful. And so that that's a really good book that like I I had read The Artist's Way. Yes. Um, right there. Yeah, man. Sweet. Yeah, that's a really good book. Last week's episode was on The Artist's Way. Oh, really? Yeah. That's yeah. Crazy so, yeah, I actually yeah, I got it at the house. I want to go back and uh reread The Alchemist. I read that young, but you know, I remember it just being really good. I mean, if if reading's not it, like, you know, for me, I try to, then it's studying people. It's studying the the people Mm -hmm. that are successful. Like the who why wouldn't you study successful people? Because Mm -hmm. they have found the formula, they have found the way. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying be just like them, but yeah take some of the things that they do mm-hmm. and you'll eventually blossom into who you are. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like a stand up. Like a lot of people go up mimicking somebody. Like I mimic Dave Chappelle mm-hmm. because that was the only thing I knew. He's successful or whatever. But the more you do it after hitting like three to five mics a week, back to back to back to back to back, JoJo started coming out. Like me, I started feeling more comfortable mm-hmm. because I knew I could make people laugh. Mm-hmm. And now it's me on stage instead of Dave Chappelle or Little Dave or Light Skin Dave, whatever you want to look at. So, <laughs> so that's how it works. That's my biggest thing is mimicking great people or, or mm. reading on great people. What mm-hmm. are their perspectives? What are how do they think? I've gotten into meditation a lot and just just taking things whether from the bible or and you know my partner's my my partner's real big in studying a little bit of like buddhism and a little bit of this a little bit of that and and some of these passages and what do you call it parables and stuff like Mm -hmm. they're deep and they they help you so yeah that's that's what i've done for myself i love that i've never really heard it said that way in my mind, it's don't be afraid to straight up copy someone. Put it on like they're training wheels. <clears throat> if no one really knows who you are, who's going to judge you? Your friends and family. So mm-hmm. what? But over time, you just kind of like oozed out of yourself. Yeah. So you use them as like a, a training wheel. You borrowed their confidence. Yeah. And then yeah, borrowed that's, that's kind of like a, a moonshot, like a good way to get yourself up there. Yeah. Just, or anywhere. Just, you know, just let go and don't always be that person. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> there's some people that remain that person. I was like, come on, But man. they don't really go too far, right? Exactly. Because yeah. no one wants to see the same person. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's, I was just talking with somebody the other day. It was like, in the GOAT talk, when you talk about Michael Jordan and LeBron James, I feel like a lot of people forget about Kobe. Mm-hmm. And then someone made the good point because Kobe mimicked Jordan and he didn't necessarily surpass him. So therefore, he's not Jordan. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's just a, a reflection of Jordan. Shadow. A shadow. Yeah. So he's not going to be in the discussion because he's he wasn't. I mean, I think he had his own ways and stuff, but everyone mm-hmm. knew that he Jordan was his idol and he mimicked him. Mm-hmm. And all the greats mimicked the greats before them, but they become their own person. I love it. So Cool. So in closing, what would you like to share with our listener based on everything we've talked about so far? Shoot. Share. Let's see. Uh, be safe out there. I know COVID. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs unless it's stand up. Man, cliche, follow your dreams. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Yeah. Don't do drugs and follow your dreams. No, do what makes you happy. 
you know, happiness is, I feel like gets lost in everyday routine and that true happiness. Find what makes you happy and, and stick to that. Life is short, you know, 80, 90 years is, is not a long time when you look at everything, when you look at how many hours you put into work and you add that up every week and stuff and, you know, how much phone time is taken out of your life. Like everything adds up and takes a piece of you, but do what makes you happy and like, share and subscribe this episode. And if you want me back, then make sure you comment, say, hey, we want Jojo back because we need another episode. And Steve be like, all right, let's get JoJo back. And where can people find you real quick? Oh, you can find me on Instagram is JoJo White Comedy. Facebook as well, JoJo White Comedy. I think I think that's up, man. Cool. Yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll it. put it all in the I show think notes. That's it. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. bless you. Out. Cool. So. <laughs> all right, brother. All right, man. Love you. Thanks right, for being here. Too, Ooh, well, shit. If we weren't close before this, uh, we're, we're pretty close now. That that was pretty amazing. Uh, Jojo, thank you so much for coming through here and sharing your story. I really hope this touched at least one of you. Uh, you know, like we talked about it, all it takes is one person uh, to feel the effect and to convince everyone around them that that joke was really funny or fill in the blank. So that's really it. Nothing more to say. If you want to get in touch with Jojo or see any of the resources that we mentioned in the episode, be sure to check out the resources list, uh, stephenfage.com slash podcast, and you'll see Jojo's episode listed right at top. So thanks for coming by. Talk to you soon. Take care.